0: morning. My name is Joshua. I'm the pastor here. Excited to, uh, to be with you guys this week. If you're just now joining us for the first time, first of all, welcome. Seriously, love you. Um, what's up, dude? I like you in that seat. That's cool. Um, if this is your first time here, we've been in Philippians for 10 weeks. Philippians is a letter from a guy named Paul whose life was changed tremendously by Jesus he went to a, a town called Philippi, planted this church. And at the time of this letter, Paul's actually in prison, uh, and he's reached out to this church. Uh, fun fact, he was also in prison when he was in Philippi. So Paul's in prison a lot. And anyway, when he has time, he writes letters to the churches that he started, and that's what's happening in the letter of Philippians. And last week, we talked about this really epic verse, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Really good. If you missed it, It's online. Um, Every week, we ask someone in the church to read because when you read the letter of Philippians, you just feel this like spirit in Paul that's like wanting the church to be unified, for it to be our church and not my church. And so, in the name of like church unity and togetherness, I'd love to ask someone else to read the passage for the day. And so, today we're in chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. And as you're reading it, you'll notice I cut you off in the middle of the sentence. So don't go on to verse 16, even though 16 is a part of verse 15. We're going to get there next week. So would someone read chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 out loud for us? Yeah, come on. Do all things without brawling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and generation, among whom you shine as lights in the, light of the world. Mmm. Thank you, Clementine. All right. If you're taking notes, today's sermon title, don't grumble or dispute, um, so gear up. Um, This is gonna be good. And we need to start and make sure we're all on equal footing and in agreement about something. How fun is it to complain, though? Can we just, like, all acknowledge we understand complaining is, like, a negative thing? Salt water, Uh, the electrolytes are essential. Um, We understand that complaining's like a negative, but at the end of the day, complaining's pretty fun. Complaining is like the conversational sugar. Long-term benefits, questionable, but short-term satisfaction, for sure, right? Feels good, go ahead, let it off. I mean, you can tell when someone needs to complain a little bit, like you're a little tight. Why don't you just say the stuff that's in here? Like let it out, let that air out, you know? If you're online for more than 10 seconds, you know what I'm talking about. We have a culture of complaining. You don't have to be on social media long to, to find a blogger who's complaining about something and then to find a comment that's complaining about the blogger complaining, being like, actually, you got it wrong, you know? Like, complaining is everywhere, like, it, whether it's a human or a bot. Just FYI, bots are on social media. If the comment section is getting to your psyche, hop off. It might be a robot messing with your life, you know what I mean? I don't know what that segment was. Let's move back. I don't want to talk about AI or bot technology. Um, Is that even what bot technology? That's how ignorant I am. Anyway, but I don't know about you, but sometimes I get online and like I'm mature enough to be elevated above like the fray, you know, like I ain't hopping in the comment section, but even me every now and then there'll be a post or a comment, I'm like, you know what? I think the Lord put me on earth to respond to this comment and voice my complaints, you know what I mean? But let's actually get real. Let's talk about in our relationships Have you ever noticed that so much of our conversation can be centered around complaining? Like if you really pay attention? Like complaining's not just for your parents about the next election, right? Are you kidding me? That guy, oh, we're gonna let him back in? Or are you kidding me? He's so old, you know? Either way, you know who I'm talking about on both sides of those. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like That's like what my parents complain about, but like real talk for us, It can be big or small. Maybe we're complaining about the next president or maybe I'm complaining about 8th Avenue South and the road work that was desperately needed, but the Lord heard my cry. I came back from paternity leave and the road was paved. I was like, oh my Lord. A daughter and a paved 8th Avenue South? I'm just cruising, it's just so smooth. Anyway, but we complain about a lot. Restaurants, influencers that get on our nerves, people we don't like, our friends, our bosses, our parents, our spouses to the bachelor picking the wrong girl, to the artist that everyone loves but we know actually is not good at all, to our circumstances. Like, Pay attention, the culture of some of your friendships, 80% of the time, you're just bonding over what you guys collectively don't like. And that's entertaining. Like Half the time you're getting lunch with someone, you spend most of your time going like, how's the service here? Is there anything we're noticing that we don't appreciate about this restaurant, right? And I just wanna start out with something simple. In life, you are going to find what you are looking for. You will find it. OK? If you're looking for it, it will show up. If you want to look for ways to be offended today, I promise you you will find them. You walk in a store, there's a sign, everyone's loved. And some of you are like, Wow, well, I don't need you to tell me that." Others of you walk into a store and there's no sign. You're like, where's the sign? To tell me I'm loved you know? If you're looking for positive qualities in your friends, you're gonna find them. If you're looking for qualities in your friends that get on your last nerve, you will find them. If you're looking for blessings in your circumstances, you're gonna find them. If you're looking for things in your circumstances that you wish were different and they feel unfair and you deserve better, you're going to find them, okay? You will find what you're looking for. So what Paul's doing with the Philippian church, he's giving them a responsibility, a personal responsibility. And we're gonna miss the potency of this instruction if we don't understand something simple. Paul and the Philippian church had plenty to complain about. I need a, you're like, yeah, I know, no. Like, embrace that. Paul and the Philippian church had a plethora of things worthy of complaint. If you don't know that, you won't appreciate Paul's instruction to not do it, okay? Paul in prison writing this. Guys, in an age of talk it before you walk it, right? Like speak it before you live it. We have thoughts before we have experience, right? We have to appreciate. Paul is in prison writing these words, Paul was the guy that walked it, and when he had time, he would write it. But for the most part, he was just living that life. It's from the words of a practitioner. The Philippian church, I mean, consider being them, some of the first people to believe in this Jewish man who was God incarnate. They're living in a retired like Roman army type of town. The Romans are the ones that green-lighted the crucifixion of Jesus. So best case scenario, the Philippian church is at risk of social isolation. Worst case scenario, they're at risk of death or prison, right, there's stuff to complain about. So whether you're the type of person, and you gotta think carefully on this one, that finds ways to complain even though there's nothing to really complain about, or you're mature enough to wait until there's something legitimate to complain, the instruction from Paul is the exact same, don't do it. Do not grumble, do not dispute. If I asked all of you, hey, are you called to ministry? A lot of you would be like, I don't know, I don't think so. Some of you might say yes, some of you, I don't think that's my calling. You are. I've got a new ministry to introduce you to. It's the ministry of not complaining. (laughs) Started by the Apostle Paul. I kid you not. It's important to note that we're on the heels of chapter two. Every tongue will confess, every knee will bow, like, Jesus Christ is Lord, real epic hymn, Day of Christ stuff. Last week, the words we left with were, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So take note, Paul's saying some epic stuff. And on the heels of this epic stuff, his next word, like you're ready for him to like talk about dying for your faith. You're like, oh man, what's coming next? Come on, Paul, we got momentum, salvation, fear and trembling. Like we gotta be martyrs. He goes, don't do anything with grumbling. Grumbling don't grumble. It's like, why is that coming next? That, you had me. I was ready to take a bullet for the Lord, you know? He's like, no, just don't grumble. Let's break down grumbling and disputing real quick. So to grumble means to complain, to whisper, to express secret discontent. Secret discontent. So this is for the people that you call your safe space, You've given yourself full permission to be completely unfiltered without any discernment of the Holy Spirit. This is with your work friends, your church family, your BFFs, or even in your marriage. The spaces where grumbling is going to come the easiest, as long as you preface it right, you know what I mean? This is the power of with all due respect and then being very disrespectful. <laughs> like, "Hey, I don't, don't take this the wrong way, but that person is the worst. And I I, don't take it the wrong way, you know, grumbling, disputing. It means doubt, argument, skeptical. This is that spirit of skepticism and cynicism. It's that spirit that often talks before you reflect first, speaks before you think. It's that evil superpower that knows how to see the splinter in someone else's eye before you see the plank in your own. This is that my main concern is being right rather than righteous mentality. Proverbs 12.1 says, whoever hates correction is stupid. How's that for identity from Scripture? If you carry this argumentative spirit that hates being wrong and totally misses the point of being righteous, Scripture says, you're being kind of stupid. Sometimes we need simplicity. We don't need someone to give like a 30-minute TED Talk on it. Paul's just gonna make it simple for you. Hey, here's a simple thought. Don't do these things. Seriously, just stop doing them. Stop grumbling in your marriages, in your friendships, in your parenting, at your job, online. Do not complain or whisper secret discontent that only one person gets to know about. Don't even do that one. Don't dispute, don't argue or carry a spirit of skepticism. And we might be going here, why? This is like a common currency in our language. Everyone does it. It's so commonplace, it's not even a big deal. Everyone does it, what's the big deal? And I think Paul's going, it's precisely the fact that it's so pervasive around you, it makes your decision to not do it so potent. That's the power. It's so commonplace, when you don't do it, there's a ministry that happens as a result. He says that you might be blameless children of God. It reminds me when Jesus says, hey, they're gonna know who I am by the way you love each other. And you're like, how does that work? Like, the way that the church loves each other reveals the goodness of God. It's similar to that, right? They're gonna know that you're a child of God by how you speak and specifically how you choose not to speak. I was with a friend of mine who started a nonprofit and he's going to these different events and kind of networking, trying to fundraise. And he met this comedian who's somewhat prominent and vulgar. And I don't know if she's funny or not. I don't even know what her name is. But he was talking with her and she started telling a story and used vulgar language. And then immediately apologized to him and said, sorry, I know you're like a Christian. And he had never said he was a Christian. That never happened. But simply by the way he spoke and did not speak, she just gathered, that's got to be one of them. Right? Like that's an example. Like when you just speak differently, What you choose to omit in your rhetoric can testify. Something's different in them. There's a contrast there. Paul says, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, crooked means corrupted. Twisted means turned from the truth among whom you shine as lights in the world. He goes, you're surrounded by people who have been turned from the truth And when you choose to walk through this life, not grumbling or disputing, not complaining, you are a light in the darkness that will reveal the path to the feet of Jesus. You can reroute someone's spiritual trajectory with how you speak and respond to life. Some of us are like, man, I don't know how to evangelize. How do I share my faith? Let's start here. Just don't grumble. Don't let them hear you being a disputing spirit. Is that how you say that? I don't even know disputing. Is that the proper use of that word? Start there. Christians must live a life of contrast juxtaposed to culture. Does everyone know that? Christians should be different, speak different, act different. This is a good place to start. And so for the next few minutes, I wanna break down how this works in my own life, and I hope it helps you out. I wanna get kind of practical here. So I wanna talk about two different things. The inner dialogue, what's going on in your heart and mind that has a ton to do with this conversation, and then move us to outer dialogue, which I think comes second. I think if you fix the first one, the second one sort of takes care of itself, but we'll get some attention to it. So let's talk about inner dialogue. Last year, I learned a really big lesson. My inner thoughts were just running a little wild. I didn't realize that my thought process was untamed and didn't often yield to Holy Spirit. Someone called me and said, hey, I heard you said some stuff about me. Is it true? Well, what did you hear? They explained. I, in truth, did not remember saying that about them, but when they told me what I said, I said, that sounds a lot like me, though. You know, so I was like, I was caught in this weird, like, I don't remember saying that, but I've definitely talked about people like that. So maybe they just got confused on who I was talking about, but I've run my mouth like that before for sure. And so we let that phone call, both of us pretty confused. But what I did feel was this warning from the Lord, because my first instinct was I hung up that phone and I was like a little kid that got caught in something. I was like, I have got to watch my tongue. I'm gonna get myself in trouble. <laughs> like. Cause I'm like an eight on the Enneagram Challenger. I like a little soapbox to stand on, and every so often I want to stand up and be like, you know what? You stink, and here's why, you know. And it's usually wrong, but I just I, I just like making my opinion known. You know what I mean? I, I think it's cool to like stand up and yell stuff. Look at me, you know. <laughs> and uh, but when I sit in God's presence, I. We're about to get into some like personal inner closet, what I sense the Holy Spirit saying stuff. But I sense that God was like, Joshua, this is not your tongue's fault. This is your heart's fault. Don't focus on blocking the thoughts. Like don't build a a great wall that lets your heart fester in negativity and cynicism but, but stops it from coming out of your mouth. Like that's not what I'm trying to teach you. You often let your anger and your frustration go completely unchecked. You rarely sit in my presence and go, Holy Spirit, give me your perspective. You don't ask me for biblical wisdom. You don't ask me for my thoughts. You never even considered that I might have a ton of love and understanding and compassion toward that person of which you're thinking so negatively. You might even be forgetting that it's potential that you're the one that's in sin. In this moment, and I'm actually waiting to rebuke you if you'd only ask. And I'll teach you, and I'll restore you. And God taught me, he was not inviting me to start by disciplining my tongue, but my heart, and how I think. The thoughts that I allow to run freely. This is a great way to think about it. What thoughts are allowed to run freely in your mind, going completely unchecked? Because if I'm complaining in my spirit, if I'm grumbling, if I'm cursing, if I'm gossiping in my spirit, it is only natural that it will come out somewhere because that's who I really am. This comes straight from Jesus. Sorry about it. This is not just my opinion. Matthew 15, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person for out of the heart comes evil thoughts. Exact same word for disputing. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. This is a warning. Beware of your complaining. Beware of your cynicism, your argumentative spirit that rests within you. I'm used to thinking through all these words as how I talk. But what's going on inside of you? How you think about people and circumstances before you even acted or said anything, is of the utmost importance. It's, it's important that we remember, Jesus wasn't frustrated at the Pharisees. Everyone know, the Pharisees are the one group of people Jesus has like, turned up on. He's always mad at them. He's not mad at them for their exterior. The Pharisees obeyed the law to the T, dude. They were such better Christians than me and you. He's mad at them because their heart is far from God. They had become experts at having cold hearts and holy actions. He wanted no part of that. And so we have to make it a top priority. God, I don't just want to act like you. You guys ready? This is about to hit if you let it. I don't just want to act like you. I want to think like you. Woo! Guys, this hit me this week. Woo! And it ministered to me. How pure are the thoughts of God toward you? How many of you understand this? Jesus is not overcoming all these negative thoughts about you and then out of his mouth comes, hey, for God so loved the world, you annoying piece of life. No! Purity in the heart of Jesus toward you. Do you know that Jesus is not doing mental gymnastics to say, I love you and to mean it fully? In Mark chapter 10, a guy comes before Jesus and goes, I really want eternal life. They start having this dialogue. In the middle of the dialogue, this is the cutest little thing, this little nuance in scripture. It says, before Jesus spoke, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Before Jesus started talking to him, inside his heart and mind was just, I I love this guy. I love what's going on here. So let's get practical. How do we, oh wait, I want to say this. Ah, I skipped the point. It's too rough to go back. I've already messed it up enough. Let's go on. So, I want to get practical. Let's think about relationships. We're going to think about relationships and circumstances on the internal dialogue side. In your relationships, I've got a practice for you. Start assuming the best in the people around you. And this is legitimately a discipline if you're like me. Start assuming the best. Don't assume when they're getting on your nerves or they've let you down that they woke up that morning and their primary motivation was to get on your nerves or let you down. Don't assume when they're late for your meeting that they're lazy, they don't value you, they don't care, they're immature. I'm just saying the things that I've thought before. (laughs) When you think about people, assume the best in them. Assume they're loved by God. Assume God has a plan for their life. Assume God is trying to work in their soul. Assume God has a purpose for your friendship. And even when they let you down, assume God has something to work at in your relationship with them in the midst of your failures. Pray for them. Y'all, let's talk about something I don't do enough. Like, pray for your people. Go on a little prayer walk. Intercede for them. Jesus never said a negative word, or sorry, a sinful word about his friends or his foes. Jesus also happened to promise you his spirit dwells in you. Go on a walk with the Lord regarding any person on earth that you have conflict with internally. I'm gonna give you a life hack that changed my life. Trash talk to God. God. Dude, I'm telling you, let them have it before the Lord. Be like David. God, I love you. You're so righteous. Will you kill my enemies? <laughs> you know? It's like, I, David can't possibly be right right there, right? But he's honest. Man, I'll go on a little walk and I will, I, will, I will really run it. Like, I will really talk about some people before the Lord. But a key piece of my trash talk before God is then I still myself and I almost feel the Holy Spirit going, you good? Did you get it off? You get it off your chest? All right. Here's some perspective. Here's my heart for them. Here's where you're being arrogant. Here's where you're short sighted. Here's where you have not even walked a quarter of a mile in their shoes. Like, here's some stuff. And I'm telling you take your gossip and your slander and your cynicism and your anger, bring it to God. Just let Him have it. He is strong enough. He's going to take every punch to the chest and be like, all right. And he's gonna mold you and teach you how to think like him. His ways are higher than our ways. So we bring our ways, unadulterated, right before him. Here's exactly how I am. And he, I think he just rewards that raw honesty. But so often, we give that responsibility to our friends or our spouses or our coworkers. And we bring all of our like verbal garbage before them. And they just join us. This past uh, Monday, I was on a little walk I think this is kinda connected. I don't know, let me know. I was on a walk with my daughter Leona, aw, and my wife Leah, Uh-huh. and we're on a little walk and there's a park and a cute little street. Eh, I wouldn't call it cute, but it's a street. And this 18 year old looking dude like just, just kinda floors it down the, the road. He's, he's probably going like 50 and it's like a 30 mile an hour speed limit. And there, I, you know, I'm already apparently 50, but I don't like fast drivers anymore. I was one last year, but I've been changed. And, uh, and you, know, you know how it is, like passive aggressive me. He passes the first time and I just do one of these. Oh, and I'm holding Leona. He drops two kids off, turns around, passes me flooring it again. This time I'm even wiser. I go, yo, yell at him. He keeps going. I didn't think he heard me. He did hear me because he did a U-turn and passed me a third time and floored it, and I'm holding my baby girl, your pastor, baby girl, on a walk with his wife in a nice neighborhood, and I'm like, yo, and I'm like waving him down. He keeps going, because he's not as tough as me. That's a lie. Uh, Like, what am I gonna do if he stops the car? I'm like, all right, I just wanna say God bless you, and and, uh, (laughs) seatbelt, see ya. Uh, Keeps driving. I'm so mad. I got this stereotypical dad, that now that I've got a daughter, it's like, it's war, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you threaten her, I threaten you. And that's how I felt. And I was really angry. I was saying some stuff to Leah. (laughs) I was just like letting her know how mad I am and what all I do to like exact vengeance on this person. And real talk, like I, it was sinful how angry I was. And I, I went to this little grocery store after, and I was heading into work, and I always stop at this grocery store and get a snack or two. And I was sitting in the parking lot, eating my snack, AirPods in, podcast going, NBA stuff. And I felt the Lord just be like, take your AirPods out, put your phone down, take some deep breaths, and ask me what I think about what you just did. And as I sat there in my car, I know this is so anecdotal, but I hope you hear like when we sit and we slow down and we do the excruciatingly hard thing, which is, through gritted teeth God what do you think <laughs> don't tell me <laughs> but I sat there long enough and he went there's something in you that thinks you need to be even quicker to anger now that you got a daughter when the truth is you need to be the slowest to anger you've ever been you got a daughter what do you want to happen right then also remember when you were 21 remember that DUI remember getting arrested remember getting suspended right before you started your internship at Ethos Church remember that that dude was younger than you. I'm like, now hold up. You don't got to don't get personal. Like, let's just talk, you know? <laughs> but that's what happens. When we slow down. And I'm over here trying to exact vengeance. Vengeance is mine. I'll show you justice and God's like, "What who are you? What are you doing?" But these moments, that inner dialogue work, and he was teaching me like, this didn't start when I started yelling. It started in here when I let anger just fill my heart and it went completely unchecked before Holy Spirit. What's the character of God? If I would have sat there and and literally he flies by and if I would have genuinely sat before God, I promise you the outcome would have been different because God would have consulted me in my inner dialogue with Holy Spirit. So anyway, there you go. In your circumstances, that was about your relationships with people. It's a little scatterbrained but I wanna to touch on circumstances really quick and how we have inner dialogue around what's going on around us. When things aren't going your way, when they actually aren't going your way, I wanna remember Romans eight twenty-eight. He makes all things work together for the good of those who love him. That's scripture. And we have to ask ourselves, are we prone to taking every circumstance through the lens of grumbling and complaining? Because if you do, you're openly disbelieving this passage. God's working out things, whether on this side of heaven or the other. Everything will work together for the good of those who love them. So, when circumstances aren't going your way, shallow or big, how prone are you to sit with God and process, God, who are you calling me to be in this moment? How are you calling me to see the world? I'm telling you, we're being trained to live life like my life is a movie about me. I'm the main character and I win in the end. Dude, A lot of martyrs in this book. And if the movie's about you, when circumstances don't go your way, what are you gonna do in here? (laughs) This is the worst moment of my life, you know? Like, woe is me. How could this happen? I'm in a season of long suffering, it's been three days, you know? When circumstances don't go our way, how prone are we to dialogue with the Lord? God, teach me more about your character. Make me more into your image. Show me how you're growing my heart. Give me a selfless perspective, a gospel-centered perspective on this situation. If Paul was here, he'd go, hey, you know you're going to stand before Jesus, right? That's going to happen. You're going to stand before Jesus, and then you're going to be in forever with Jesus or without Jesus. Let's get some perspective on this. So with our circumstances, let's start cultivating a habit of dialoguing with God. God, what are you doing in this? Whether this works out the way I want it to or not, you're still good, I'll still stand before you, and all things will still work together because I love you. Okay, I told you, it's a little tangy. Are you still here? I'm a little hot. I've been using this organic deodorant and my armpits are sweating profusely. And I think I just did that to make you laugh. Um, All right, outer dialogue. So most of this is hard work um, that will heal the outer dialogue, but I just wanna very briefly touch on this. Don't underestimate your language and your speech. Like, what are you most commonly saying? What's the aroma of your speech? And trust this, the devil really is in the details. The small, minor things that you come back to over and over and over again, they do add up. I promise, if you're prone to complaining, stressing, if you default to the negative towards your circumstances, big or small, this will add up. The more you speak from a complaining spirit, the more you're building an environment of grumbling and disputing and you're training your mind over time to always look for and find what is wrong or frustrating about anything. You are training yourself to be a perfectionist, and life is never perfect. In some ways, you're your own worst enemy. This won't just impact your mind, though. It's gonna impact your reputation and the fruit of the Spirit in you, or lack thereof. People will know you and think of you by how you most often speak. That's why this is a ministry, because over time if you're not someone who like gravitates toward a complaining spirit, people will gravitate toward you, because people need hope. They need someone that's got a positive outlook on life, someone that's got hope in something beyond themselves, that's you. Your friendships will be steered by what most often marks your attitude and speech. When's the last time you just diagnosed the culture of your friendships? What marks them? Your marriage. Your kids, parents, I know this is tough. I've been a parent for six weeks. I'm a vet. I get it. (laughs) Your grandkids, your family tree will be impacted by the sum of your attitude and speech. It's in the details. So here's a practical. Then we're going to go to communion. Speak life and encouragement and make it a discipline. In your relationships, make it a practice to regularly tell people around you why you love them, what you see in them, what makes them special. God speaks things into existence. He spoke the world into existence. I've heard it said that his words create worlds. What worlds are your words creating for other people? Some of your people are waiting for your words to speak their freedom, encouragement, self-confidence into existence. Guys, your words, I mean, just go read James, are so powerful, like a small flame that starts a forest fire. People are starving for encouragement. Most of us default are always thinking about what we don't have who we're not yet. And we need friends that come in and go, hey, do you know God's working in your life? Hey, you know you're really good at this? I love it when you smile. I love your laugh. I love your style. Does anyone love my style? (laughs) People say I have the gift of encouragement. That's not a pat on the back, because the truth is I have the gift of sarcasm. And for so much of my life, I put people off accidentally. I think my heart was somewhat pure in it. I didn't mean to be mean to people, but I've had several people in my younger years tell me, I did not think you liked me when we met. And that really hurt my heart. So I'm like, oh, shoot, well, I loved you, so what happened? And I remember hearing Hebrews 3.13 for the first time, and I heard it, and I was like, that's just changed my life forever. And I've said it here several times. But it's encourage each other as long as it's called today. That's what it says. So is today today? Yes, okay. Encourage each other so that your heart may not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We live in a dark and deceitful world and encouragement combats that deceitfulness. It helps people know the truth of Christ, the truth of who God is, the truth of who they are. So encourage each other from their smile to their personality, to their skills, to their character. And just know this, your positive thoughts about someone are not a blessing until those thoughts pass through your mouth. So practice it. Practice seeing the good things in your people and then saying them to them and still confidence in them circumstances. When things aren't going your way, speak truth out loud. I don't know if you know this, but you can hear you. Your brain can receive what you say out loud. It's a weird thing. Kind of like speaking into existence, but the Christian version, you know? Like, oh, this is really hard. But Romans 8.28, like, quote scripture, Or pray to God and tell God, here's how I'm gonna think about this circumstance. Here's how I'm tempted to think about this circumstance, but out loud, here's how I'm gonna try to think about this circumstance. Rejoice in the Lord always. In every circumstance, make it a discipline to out loud rejoice in the Lord. Not supposed to be easy. Let your mind hear you speaking the truth of God to yourself. So, all right, church, don't grumble or complain. This passage is an invitation for us to be truly and sincerely marked by the hope of Christ. The challenging part of this word is you gotta believe you're gonna see Jesus one day for this to really hit you. But if you believe you're gonna see Christ one day, let that reality, if the Holy Spirit of the living God is in you, that all things really do work together for the good of those who love him, then let's walk through this life not with a spirit of grumbling or disputing, but instead as a people that our words are as with salt, distinct, separate from the culture, speaking life and encouragement over our relationships and over our circumstances. So as we go to communion, I want this to be real to us and I wanna make it practical. We already did our circle up thing. Today's communion will be individual. Some of you just felt so much relief. Next slide. So I'm gonna invite you, this only works if you apply it, right? And if, if God's already stirring in you, then don't read the words, just sit with God. But if you need some help, I want to invite you to think in two lanes. One, inner dialogue. Try to tap into how do I think in my relationships, in my circumstances? What are some of my default ways of thinking? How often do you bring your thoughts before God? And then I want you to get practical. For me, it's sitting in the car, putting all my devices down, breathing deep, and dialoguing with the Lord. That's how I invite God to help me think. You need to have your own example. The car is often my safe space. What's yours? How can you invite God into how you think? You guys can read the outer dialogue. There you go. Um, All right, I love you guys. We're gonna play some music. We're gonna pass out some communion. Talk to the Lord for a few minutes. I'll segue us back into worship in like seven minutes. If you need a journal, if you need to go on a walk, whatever it looks like for you to walk with Holy Spirit in this one, let's do it. There's a gift here.